right, and we are checking back in once again for the To Be Determined podcast with your host, as always, To Be D. And we have, once again, a special guest on the program, Dominic Vitiello. How are you doing? Um, well, thanks. Thanks for being here on the on the To Be D podcast. Well, thanks for the, thanks for the invitation. Most definitely. So, as always with the podcast, we try to start out with two questions with each individual we have. And the first question is always, what is it that you wanted to do when you were a kid? <laughs> well, um, when I was little, I wanted to be a farmer. Um, I, um, uh, and, and I didn't associate that with urban farming, but I, I, I certainly worked with community gardeners and, and some urban farmers and, and, you know, when I grew up, but you know, not, not specifically as a full-time farmer. So. That's interesting. Um, where is it that you grew up that you wanted to be a farmer? <laughs> well, I grew up in the neighborhood where I still live, which is uh, Mount Airy in Northwest Philadelphia. But I, I think I got that idea from um, spending time in Lancaster County and, and uh, also a bit in Vermont, where I lived when I was one. Not that I can you know, tell you I remember that. Hmm. And um, certainly, Mount Airy had plenty of goats, and you know, when I was growing up, and um, you know, not a lot of the sort of urban farming that you see today in Philly, but um, it, it, it had you know, other, other forms, let's say, goats. I, I, I had neighbors who had a donkey and, and certainly chickens and such. It's interesting, the, the little things that yeah. stick with us growing up. Yeah, some of which I, I suppose relates to, you know, your, your uh, uh, exploration of land use issues, right? Um, don't know if you've explored you know, questions about chickens, but um, that that doesn't necessarily get us to the, the neighborhood transformation initiative, which you would like to talk about. But um, in, in some ways, it you know it is reflective of, of the fact that we sort of haven't sorted out um, a lot of questions that that I think NTI you know, posed for us, and, and we're still grappling with in, in Philadelphia, like what is the, the um, place of community serving land uses and, and you know what is the place of you know, certain community activities like like agriculture even when it's done privately um, you know on private land um, but but I, I, I think you, you you know chose an interesting sort of question to look back on NTI which I, I don't know you know enough people are doing uh, yet or have, have, have done enough yet um, <clears throat> to consider what it means for, for you know, development in our city, you know, today and, and, and going forward. No, yeah, most definitely. I, um, you jumped right into it. I, I brought you on the, the podcast to kind of get a, a look back at, um, the original neighborhood transformation initiative, um, back from, you know, a couple of administrations ago, uh, mayor street, um, early in the 2000s and kind of see how that's, you know, through the conversations that we've had specifically on the, on the 2BD documentary, Free the Land, but also on just the way that land and redevelopment has kind of shaped into, into more modern times. But um, the second question always is, uh, what is it that you do now? Yeah, sure. So that's a, a quicker answer. I'm, I'm a professor of city planning and urban studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and 
you know, the part of that that, that I think, you know, of, of my work that intersects with yours is, is mostly, you know, been on, on land and, and urban agriculture in, in Philadelphia. But, um, and, and certainly that's something that um, I'd say um, my research most, most directly intersected uh, uh, with this question of what did NTI do um, to and for um, you know, neighborhoods and, and community and, and uh, uh, neighborhood development in, in Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've studied, you know, that aspect of NTI directly and, and um, my work, um, you know, uh, uh, as a professor has in, in, in small ways in, intersected with some of the uh, then, you know, called uh, anti-eminent domain abuse activists uh, uh, in the city who were fighting NTI or, or certain aspects of NTI early on. Um, uh, and, and yet that, that, you know, has not been a big part of either my research or, or the work that I do um, in, in community development. Yeah, so for those of us who... Um... I guess to give a more brief understanding for those of us who aren't as deep in the weeds, um, what have you more or less observed about the neighborhood transformation initiative and its, you know, impact on the city uh, specifically, like from your piece back in 2007 in, in progressive planning, what have you observed about the program over time? Yeah. So yeah, that's you know what you know sixteen years ago, um, and and um, you know certainly um, you know I think it's fair to say that, that the neighborhood transformation initiative and, and some things that it um, invested in um, and you know to some extent uh, helped catalyze um, um, you know really really did take off um, in in Philadelphia, such as. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, gentrification of Brewery Town, um, you know, which has certainly proceeded, uh, um, you know, significantly in the last, you know, 15, 16 years uh, uh, since then. Um, <clears throat> that was one of the neighborhoods um, where NTI, you know, one of the few neighborhoods where the Neighborhood Transformation Initiative, you know, really got a private real estate developer from the suburbs, um, you know, into the city, you know, building housing, um, you know, starting or, or, you know, in what one might, you know, fairly uh, um, characterize as earlier, you know, just earlier waves or eras of, of you know, gentrification. Um, you know, certainly, you know, adjacent Fairmount and Spring Garden underwent, you know, successive decades waves of, of gentrification, um, you know, well before NTI starting in the 1970s, but, uh, and likewise, Northern Liberties and areas around there. But, um, you know, some of the vacant land assemblage that uh, NTI did, um, you know, ultimately along American Street, you know, late in its, um, you know, uh, um, in, in the program's existence, um, but, but certainly in Town and adjacent Strawberry Mansion, um, you know, you go back to those places and see um, that it really did at least help accelerate, um, you know, subsequent, uh, mostly subsequent uh, um, you know, gentrification um, in, in neighborhoods that in, in recent years, more than, you know, during the street administration during the you know, 2000s, uh, but during the 2010s and then even early 2020s, you know, changed and developed, you know, gentrified rapidly. Um, and, and so I'd say, you know, looking back to me, that's one of the big headlines. Um, 
you know, from my, my own research, what, what we found, uh, particularly at, at looking in, in, in 2008 at um, com- being a census of community gardening sites that, that, that used to exist, that in, in 2000, that in rather in 1996 were 501 uh, uh, gardens within the city, um, we found only 227 of those still active um, you know, garden, community gardens, um, and not uh, by no means all of those that were lost, but a, a subset that was at least a dozen uh, um, smaller community gardens, mostly in lower North Philadelphia, a little bit um, in, in West Philly, uh, were places where um, the vacant land management, um, uh, um, cleaning and greening and mowing, uh, um, you know, approach that the, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and um, lots of community-based groups, neighborhood-based groups, um, got funded to do, um, did displace a number, at least a dozen, um, and it's hard to know, uh, uh, perhaps a few more uh, uh, gardens. Um, that's where, um, you know, I, I, in my own work, I most directly encountered how NTI, especially early on, um, really just wasn't based very much in community planning. Um, it certainly wasn't based in anything like community organizing that went to, you know, to neighborhood residents on the ground. But it also, um, you know, early on um, wasn't as, as so strong in, in even connecting with community development corporations and other neighborhood-based organizations that um, in some instances, I, I, I think, did help a, a neighborhood transformation initiative in its later years um, develop a somewhat more, um, uh, let's say, community-serving uh, um, you know, set of, of uh, um, particularly affordable housing um, investments. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, to me, those would be, you know, the, the headlines, if you will, in answer to your question, and, you know, of... of Especially like when you know, looking back, what what big effects did NTI have um, on the city? What, what were some of its most profound effects um, on neighborhoods and communities, especially? But um, also, you know, your more specific question of where did my work encounter it? Uh, well, in that, and and that's not to say that the vacant land management didn't have positive effect. But I, I think there's been, you know. Uh, um, clear research that has shown that it's had positive safety effects, especially. Um, but, um, you know, some of the, the early planning, um, and, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, uh, wasn't, uh, um, it was very much done uh, um, sort of from the perspective of um, analyzing neighborhood markets and, and not really um, a finer grain, more local, uh, um, you know, look or collaboration within city neighborhoods. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, it's something that improved over time within the program uh, to, to some extent. Mm. Um, yeah, in your, in your, uh, progressive planning piece, you sort of pointed to, you know, the, the different ways that, you know, with 10 year property tax abatements and the greening of vacant mm-hmm. lots, um, all helping to in increase with the goal of like increasing uh real estate sales prices and like when coupling those goals also with the goal through the neighborhood transformation initiative to demolish and you know create conditions um to change the market um it it sort of 
becomes almost like clear that, you know, the plans for a newer Philadelphia or a new Philadelphia um, is really one that will ultimately displace those who have called the city home for generations. Um, can you speak a little bit about, you know, any sort of assurances or more specific policy that points to protecting some of the city's more vulnerable um, residents? Yeah, sure. And I think a lot of that um, work of, of protecting uh, renters, particularly during the COVID pandemic, but also, um, you know, well before it, particularly the, um, you know, uh, eviction um, and, and foreclosure, rather, the foreclosure diversion court established by you know, Judge Annette Rizzo and, and, you know, with the help of some of the same people who were sort of the policy architects of NTI, uh, people like Ira Goldstein and his colleagues at, at the reinvestment fund, um, you know, who, who did, you know, a lot of the market analysis, most of the market analysis for uh, um, sort of informing NTI planning and investments. Um, you know, we've also been working, uh, um, you know, at least as much, arguably more over the years on, you know, promoting housing policies like that, that, um, you know, protect low income and, and low wealth Philadelphians. Um, both uh, uh, from foreclosure and from uh, uh, eviction. And in some ways, you know, Philadelphia, uh, because of that, became the model for post-2008 uh, um, uh, financial crisis, uh, um, you know, eviction and, and, and particularly foreclosure uh, uh, anti, you know, prevention work um, around the country. Um, uh, you know, one thing that that, you know, uh, illuminates on the you know less positive side is that Philadelphia already is a very poor and unequal city already had you know a foreclosure and eviction crisis um, even in a city that um, you know going back uh, um, more than 20 years now um, to the start of NGI you know say it's 2000 or so the the you know we're still in an era in which Philadelphia is losing population you know into 2007 it turns around and starts to grow modestly and we're still in an era when City leaders, including you know people in redevelopment and planning bureaucracies and and, and, and the community development financial institutions like the reinvestment fund working with them are still you know still very much see Philadelphia and understand Philadelphia as a city that's declining that doesn't have much of a real estate market um, outside of certain neighborhoods um, and that's a huge problem and at that point right you have the same you know people are, are, are willing to say very openly gentrification is an issue in New York, right? It's not something we feel in Philadelphia. Now, 20 years later, we're in a very different situation, partly, you know, thanks to planned gentrification work done by, you know, everyone from the center city district to the university of Pennsylvania to the, the, you know, the neighborhood transformation initiative, right? Both, you know, the public sector and, and nonprofit sector, you know, planners working, you know, and architects of that, if you will. Um, you know, we're doing planned gentrification in Philadelphia um, in, in the 1990s and early 2000s um, in, in the, again, a very different context, right? Um, in which they could do that openly, right? And I think, you know, politically, if you say that's what you're doing openly, you know, today in 2023, that's not a winning, uh, <laughs> you know, strategy um, as a public official or, or, you know, even, you know, in, 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 you know, as a 
private entity in, in your public face, because um, gentrification has become a real concern of Philadelphians. Um, and, you know, partly because, you know, the planned gentrification of Center City and University City and, um, you know, the neighborhoods around Center City was very much in, in like NTI, you know, initial strategy was places like Brewery Town and, and um, Francisville and, um, you know, the, uh, um, the lower, um, you know, South Kensington area, uh, West Kensington area, um, places where there's lots of vacant land on the edges of neighborhoods, you know, they're not far from neighborhoods that were already gentrified, right? Like they're already gentrified, like Fairmont and Spring Garden and, and Northern Liberties and, and uh, Fishtown, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it's a, you know, in, in many ways, uh, Right, sort of, you know, successful, right, or, or, or you know, in, in, in its intentions, right, uh, realized, right, uh, a planned gentrification strategy. And, you know, I, I can also say that, you know, there are plenty of, you know, people, you know, in leadership positions and, you know, public and, and private and nonprofit, you know, uh, institutions in, in Philadelphia who um, are still, um, of the belief that Philadelphia could use more gentrification, but you know, won't say it you know openly today. A lot of them, what they mean when they say that is that it needs more black gentrification, um, and you know that Philadelphia's been losing the black middle class since the 1980s. If we're you know actually looking at population, uh, um, and you know that's that's a huge problem. Um, that is another right uh, a reason why a lot you know certain neighborhoods emptied out and and um, you know along with the, the variety of measures, right, that you uh, point to, right, between the tenure tax abatement and neighborhood transformation initiative, you know, assembling land, um, and, uh, um, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the city's, um, you know, own, some of the city's own, own housing investments, right, have, um, you know, really transformed large portions of, of, of our city, um, in the last uh, um, you know, 20 years since NTI started, you know, 20, 22 years. Um, but um, yeah, no, and, and you know, the Center City District, right, very quietly, there's a, there's a wonderful book on this by Maya Kukiara, uh, who's an education professor at Temple. Um, but the, the Center City District very quietly um, convinced the, the, the city's, you know, the, the school district, um, you know, a good two decades ago to. Um, redraw the catchment boundaries of uh, neighborhoods in Center City, which is, you know, a similar uh, um, huge incentive um, for uh, wealthier families to, you know, with young kids to, to stay downtown in a, you know, more affluent and, and more segregated, uh, um, you know, sort of district within the district or set of schools within the district. Um, and, you know, all those factors um, were, you know, frankly, relatively successful or successfully realized, right? Um, you know, efforts that plan to gentrification. Philadelphia's downtown, um, you know, some years ago now passed Chicago um, to become the third, sorry, to become the, now the second largest um, downtown population, residential population in, in a U.S. city after New York. Um, and, and, you know, when you hear you know, real estate developers talk about downtown, what does downtown mean, right? Its, it's definition is not, you know, 
like Vine Street to South Street, it's it's the neighborhoods around you know mm. the city center that are wealthy, and downtown has grown a lot in the last 20 years, right? Um, and you know developers looking at NTI plans 20 years ago um, knew that it would, right? I heard people 15 years ago, you know, in, in the real estate development you know community say things like you know downtown is going to be you know uh, uh, Washington to Gerard. They you know. They would now say, you know, beyond that, um, in in many instances, right, especially around Brewery Town, well beyond Girard and, and Washington, you know, Avenue is just by no means in, you know, <laughs> the edge of gentrification in in, uh, in South Philly, um, you know. But um, yeah, no, in, in in many ways, um, you know, I think uh, we remain a city, right, where. A lot of city leaders, you know, again, won't vocalize it, but um, they'll still believe we could use more gentrification of one sort or another, right? Um, you know, Philadelphia remains, and it's not getting better, right? The, you know, poorest big city in the United States, right? Mm. Um, sorry, just to go back on the point you were saying that now Philadelphia has passed Chicago as far as were you saying the traffic in the downtown as, as, far as, as having no 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 having residents residents uh, residents people people live in downtown wow that's a very you know yeah yeah um and yeah no there's there's lots of things that that are very different about downtown um and in many ways you know to the credit of um you know what what i'm calling you know planned gentrification right um I remember, you know, at, at various points, leaders of the, the center city district, you know, showing um, maps, you know, uh, for example, the, that showed like the, um, you know, what some Philadelphians call the neighborhood, right? The sort of area, Washington Square West, um, you know, uh, south of Market Street, south of Chestnut Street, um, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th Streets, um, you know, as, as sort of in some ways the last, you know, um, or one of the last working class pockets of Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, uh, um, very much one of the, one of the sort of premier real estate developer, you know, uh, um, sort of gentrification outfits in the country, um, Tony Goldman, um, real estate firm that, that was, um, you know, I think, you know, took credit and was given credit for, you know, gentrifying Soho in New York and South Beach in Miami, um, you know, led a very, you know, uh, um, successful uh, uh, sort of planned gentrification of, of 13th Street, uh, especially in the blocks around Walnut and Phantom, uh, um, you know, really remaking the retail there, not getting rid of the neighborhood, um, you know, uh, 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 but um, in, in many ways, um, you know, sort of pushing out some of the older retail um, and uh, bringing in, you know, a, a very carefully managed mix of new retail. Again, this sort of all goes to, um, you know, this theme of planned gentrification, if you will, of which, you know, large parts of NTI, I think, you know, really were, right? Um, you know, very clearly, explicitly from the start about, um, you know, assembling land, um, especially in neighborhoods sort of beyond, but, but not that much beyond Center City, um, you know, to make, you know, that land attractive and manageable uh, to develop uh, for, you know, as they were saying very explicitly for, you know, 
private market suburban real estate developers to, to build uh, to build on. Um, and sorry, what were we about to? No, I was going to say, you know, just again, one more, you know, way in which NTI was, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, expectations and, 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 you know, what it was aiming for really did bear out in Philadelphia over that longer term or the last, you know, 20 years that, that, you know, you're, you're asking about, right. If we're, if we're looking back, right. Um, in in more recent um developments uh in more modern days um it it's starting to look like the developments are kind of pushed forward with you know affordable housing acting as like a guise to to push through um more commercial real estate developments i mean when you build hundreds of of market rate homes and leave a sliver for affordable housing, it's, it starts to look like, you know, there's a cap on the amount of quote unquote affordable housing infrastructure that we're, we're looking to push forward. Um, could you talk a little bit about, about that aspect of more recent development? Yeah, um, you know, clearly Philadelphia has, uh, um, you know, a much greater need than like it's supplying. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think, um, you know, there's been some pressure on uh, what people, you know, call sort of naturally occurring affordable housing, meaning, you know, not nothing that the state is, is subsidizing necessarily, but just rents that are, are affordable enough. And that became, um, you know, rents in, in, you know, neighborhoods that are gentrifying, right? Um, and, and, you know, Point Breeze is a really good example, right? Um, and, and, you know, one reason why people there, you know, I think you know, got particularly alarmed is that, you know, they, they see rents and, and, and also things like property tax assessments, you know, really boom and, and you know, jump in recent years. Um, and yet, you know, what, and, and so what used to be affordable is starting to look not affordable or not affordable for long. Um, and, um, you know, plenty of people are, uh, are really getting crunched and not seeing some new supply. Now it's, it's expensive, um, you know, to build a new supply. Um, and yet Philadelphia isn't a place that's growing so fast, right. Or that, that, you know, doesn't have substantial housing stock that if, you know, you know, we're able to, um, you know, keep some, you know, a large portion of it that is affordable, still affordable, both, you know, um, that which is, is uh, uh, you know, the units that are expiring, you know, have expiring affordability requirements, um, places like University City Townhomes is sort of the most, uh, um, you know, well-publicized example of that, but that's the tip of the iceberg of, of um you know, affordable units or, you know, units that, that are required to be affordable, um, you know, potentially expiring in, in uh, you know, a sort of a, a rolling way year to year, um, you know, different different properties um, lose that because the main way that the United States has financed affordable housing and produced affordable housing in the last few decades has been um, the affordable housing tax credit. And that, you know, has affordability requirements that expire 30 years after uh, um, you know, 
after that housing is built. Um, so that's things like that, um, you know, along with, uh, um, you know, the fact that it's expensive and, and slower, right, to build new units, um, you know, all, all combined, right, um, to make it, it um, you know, just particularly tough for, for the very large population of poor people, right, that, you know, live in Philadelphia to have, you know, something we can call housing security, right? And, and in that perspective, people who have um, either Section 8 or site-based, you know, um, public or affordable housing um, are in some ways the best supported, right? Because they they already have a benefit, um, you know, that allows them to, you know, re, you know requires them only to pay 30% of their, their you know, income uh, for housing and not more, right? And so, um, they're supported more effectively right, than the many thousands of, of, of people right, in Philadelphia who um, qualify just the same, right, uh, but who haven't made it far enough on, up on the, you know, tens of thousands of people long waiting list, right, uh, um, you know, to get uh, um, you know, housing supports. And certainly, you know, the, the sorts of things that, um, our city council and there recently did, you know, particularly during the pandemic to, um, you know, uh, um, you know, keep, keep evictions, uh, um, you know, from uh, being as, as you know, much as they could have been, let's say, right. Um, all good things. Um, but in, in, in many ways, the things that you're pointing to about Philadelphia's, uh, um, you know, not having enough affordable housing is, is, you know, a bigger systemic issue with, 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 you know, again, all these forces and, and, and others, you know, affecting it, right, uh, uh, or helping, you know, each in their own way to, to produce it, right? I feel like that creates almost like two different, two different um, depictions of support because it's, it's almost like as you explained that, that um, when people are on these programs or on these vouchers, they're supported uh, via the paperwork and they're supported on a on a waiting list um, in that regard and that they they qualify for this housing but in the more well people who have no no people who have section 8 vouchers right or who uh, live in site-based affordable housing whether it's PHA or somewhere else right are, are, are have already sort of made it through a waiting list um, and uh, um, you know, have uh, a housing support, um, you know, ultimately it's, it's from the federal government, right, whether it's in the form of a voucher right, that they're able to, to take and rent, you know, in theory, wherever, right, um, uh, or in the form of, of you know, a site, uh, um, whether it's a, a public housing or another affordable housing you know, development, um, <clears throat> right, are, are the people who've already sort of made it to getting housing support, um, that again limits the amount of their income that they have to pay for for housing, um, and and so in that sense, right? Um, while oftentimes you know uh, certain public housing communities, right, are not um, you know well kept up or uh, uh, haven't been nice places to live and have been dangerous in, in, in many cases, right? Um, they've also been and you know remain today, and today they are better managed than they were in the past, you know, on on average. Um, um, you know, but they, they are the places where people, um, you know, where poor people are best supported, 
upside in in their housing. And and again, I think it's you know um, uh, we're really not um, our, our it, it, it's hard to imagine um, how our leaders either in Washington or in Harrisburg or in, in Philadelphia um, are you know, going to be you know, willing and, and, uh, and, and at the local level, therefore able uh, to spend as much as they need to, uh, to really solve, you know, Philadelphia's poverty and inequality and hence housing, right. Uh, um, or, you know, for housing, we could substitute, you know, food security, you know, or other things, right. Uh, 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 problems, right. Um, it's, um, you know, even if we have, you know, some political will at the local level, it's, it's you know, hard to imagine, um, you know, our country, you know, I- I investing, you know, the amount that they need to, right? Um, and, you know, redistributing the amount that they need to, um, to really address poor people's, you know, housing and, and, you know, affordability, you know, more generally, uh, um, you know, crises. Otherwise, you know, known as our sort of poverty and inequality, you know, problems in in places like Philadelphia, especially, right? So. Right. Just, um, what I was what I was trying to make out was more or less that you know, when if we allow these housing contracts, these federal housing contracts that have been built up decades ago expire, as well as mm-hmm. when people are on these vouchers um, are now displaced and pushed elsewhere in the city, outside of the city where their voucher allows them to go. It, it, it just feels like support is, is a word that's very different to who you're asking in that, in that way. Sure. Sure. No. And, and, you know, um, I, I think, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, all the attention that's, that, that say the university city town homes got over the last year or so, um, you know, shone a light on, uh, um, you know, shined a light on, you know, this, this issue. Right. But, um, at the same time, um, you know, the same reasons that made it hard, right. For the city and, you know, nonprofits and, you know, anybody else to sort of, you know, step in and say, well, no, we can, you know, preserve this as affordable housing, right? Um, the fact that so much of Philadelphia has been, um, you know, uh, uh, has, has, you know, gained the, the sort of land market that people, you know, the architects of NTI and other, you know, uh, uh, revitalization uh, uh, planning right? uh, uh, imagined, you know, years ago. Um, <clears throat> You know, Philadelphia has that land market, and 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 people think it's too valuable, right? Um, and and that in itself, you know, makes it uh, challenging for, you know, affordable housing sites in, you know, significant parts of the city, right? Uh, um, to, you know, be you know, turned you know turned uh, um, back into right, or or to be renewed, uh, uh, you know, is a better term as uh, uh, affordable housing, right? Um, and, you know, some, some will and some is, uh, being renewed, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, hard to, to, you know, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, um, you know, let's say hard, it ranges from hard to unconstitutional to like limit the profit that the developer who owns that, um, you know, can take, um, if they're in a neighborhood, um, you know, 
like large parts of West Philly, even parts of Southwest Philly, certainly parts of North and South, you know, Philly, and parts of Northwest and, and even parts of Northeast Philly, right? That if you built it 30 years ago, um, you, you, chances are you're on land that is just a lot more valuable today, right? Um, and, and it's going to um, you know, be hard to convince, you know, particularly the private owners of, um, you know, those, the, the, those units too. Um, and many of them are, you know, private uh, developers of affordable housing uh, who took advantage of the tax credit, um, you know, and, and produced, you know, made significant contributions to, to the stock of affordable housing we've had, um, you know, in, in, in recent decades. Um, but yeah, no, and, and again, you know, Philadelphia is uh, in, in no way unique in that way, right? Because, you know, we're talking about the, the, you know, federal government's most common way of producing affordable housing in recent decades. So this is really a, you know, something that's widely shared uh, um, in, in the U.S., um, even if in Philadelphia, right, uh, because of you know, just our, our population and, and poverty profile, right, um, we experience in, in some ways more, more acutely, acutely than, than, than some other places. Um, you know, some markets, right, housing markets like Boston or you know, the West Coast or, or New York um, are much more expensive and, and, and um, you know, much harder to survive in, in, in lots of ways. But um, beyond those, you know, and, and maybe a few others, Philadelphia, um, you know, is, is tough and, and, and getting tougher um, because of the gentrification, you know, that, that we've been talking about. Yeah, I I guess just speaking from my own perspective, you know, especially with the expiration of contracts that have been in place for for decades, it just feels all the more nefarious in that, you know, playing the long game, quote unquote, for these contracts for developers. Um at the end of the day, the those that are affected are the residents, the people who are just living in their houses oh yeah no and i think you know in in broad ways you know much of of our um you know uh, a lot of people in the united states um got upset about you know the privatization of of you know everything from schools to you know the the um you know, sort of mega corporate, uh, um, you know, investor ownership of, of, you know, such a huge proportion of our rental housing is, you know, become a real, um, you know, prominent issue right, that people have sort of woken up to in recent years. Um, you know, in some ways, right, this is expiring after 30 years, right, affordability, uh, um, you know, as the biggest part of our, you know, affordable housing production in, in you know, the last, Three four decades is is, is uh, it it you know really puts in perspective uh, um, you know how in some senses much older and and and, and you know in, in some ways more established uh, uh, um, the privatization of of you know our um, you know, sort of what should be public goods right and and you know uh, uh, supports for for people. Right. Um, you know, have, have become you know, really in, in many ways in the United States um, more like in the last 50 years since we, you know, in, you know, in, 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 in 
you know, the affordable housing realm um, stopped building, um, you know, public housing essentially, you know, exactly 50 years ago. Um, and the 1974 uh, uh, Community Development Act, you know, sort of replaced the old model of, of building permanent affordable public housing um, with community development corporations um, buying at a, a much smaller scale um, to, to pursue, you know, a wide variety of different sort of funding streams that over the decades, um, you know, uh, also opened up, um, you know, to uh, uh, private developers of affordable housing and, um, you know, really were pushed by Washington over the last 50 years, right? Not just to sort of be devolved from the public sector, right? Doing the work of producing and managing affordable housing, not just to the nonprofit and, you know, private sector, but also, right, over the last 50 years or so, the, the, the focus of, you know, for whom is that housing being built went from, you know, uh, uh, let's say the poorest of the poor to people more of moderate income by the 1990s, uh, moderate income home ownership had become very popular to, you know, in recent years, uh, and we see community development corporations, you know, founded 40 or 50 years ago uh, uh, to, to develop affordable housing for the poor, developing market rate housing, period, that usually they hope will also include some affordable units, but sometimes doesn't, um, you know, and, and that in a sense, you know, uh, it's a totally a result of, of, you know, housing policy out of Washington approved by Congress. And in some ways, you know, but one way, what, what Congress will allow, you know, the, the president and HUD under, you know, any given administration to do, but HUD, I mean, you know, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, but, our housing policy over, you know, the last, you know, four to five decades has really, you know, pushed from, um, you know, really over the last five, right, has, has pushed from, gone from being, you know, about public, right, and, and permanently, you know, public and affordable housing for the poor to, um, you know, a very both private market and, you know, very, you know, temporary uh, in, in, in many ways, right, and, and, um, you know, incentive-based, but also, um, you know, a, a set of uh, supports that are not all focused on the poor by any means, but have, have often been, um, you know, as or more focused on, um, you know, revitalizing, you know, including gentrifying neighborhoods as they have been on, you know, generating or sustaining, you know, affordable housing for poor people. Um, and the HOPE 6 uh, uh, program, um you know, that between the 1990s and, and 2010s, you know, demolished most of the high-rise public housing uh, projects in the United States, you know, including most of the ones, almost all of the ones in Philadelphia, um, and replaced them with a, you know, mixed income housing, um, including many fewer units for poor people, um, are yet another, you know, big part of this, you know, uh, um, story, right? And, and coming back to Philadelphia, um, you know, we have some very clear examples of, you um, you know, the Martin Luther King uh, um, the public housing development a, a, around you know, 11th, 13th, or 12th, 13th, and, and, and you know, Fitzwater, um, and the, 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 um, um, the, the Queen Village, um, uh, uh, Southwark Towers um, at, at 4th, uh, 5th, and, and Washington, um, you know, uh, uh, 
their demolition in both cases really made you know way for the you know the the gentrification of um, you know the the you know Bella Vista and uh, uh, Hawthorne and and, and uh, um, you know Queen Village neighborhoods um, and surrounding neighborhoods to their south you know beyond Washington Avenue um, you know what people call Pass Young Square now um, and and um, you know just to pick one more. Um, you know, certainly the uh, um, you know the, the demolition of Schoolkill Falls in East Falls really played a, a significant uh, role in in um, you know making way for the gentrification of, of East Falls, uh, which was very clear you know planned gentrification. Another good example of you know a developer who actually had a lot of properties in West Philly that they sold and, and bought a whole bunch in, in East Falls. Um, you know after the the, the tower had been been demolished and the low rises too and in the long time that it took to redevelop the, the uh, schoolfield falls site um you know very quickly you know a mix of um carefully chosen mix of, of you know restaurants and retail um and you know new apartments went in and you know if you look at the prices in east falls both the rent and i think of, of um you know property sales um it's another you know just good example of um you know how uh, um, a, a wide set of public and private, um, you know, uh, and and other um, you know forces and investments and such. I really, um, in in very planned and intentional ways, you know, shaped the the, the gentrification of, of you know, big parts of, of Philadelphia. Uh, again, parts that were already connected to to you know or, or close by um, to areas that you know were already gentrified. Um, or, or you know, well off, um, and and you know, again, largely expanded from there. Let's say. Um, now to jump back into land. Sorry, I have I'm going back and forth with you between mm-hmm. housing and, yeah, yeah, and land. But um, mm-hmm. back in um in June, you know, we heard of this this deal that was reached um by the city, um to buy back 91 parcels of, of land used for gardens to prevent them, you know, from being levied to a sheriff's sale. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately to me, um, I thought, you know, sheriff sales obviously are just one of, of numerous ways that the city divvies up land and like the vagueness of defining the land as parcels, um, kind of adds a cloudiness to the issue of, you know, like 91 parcels of what? 91 parcels could be saving <laughs> two gardens. It could be saving 82 gardens. It, it's it's all unclear. <laughs> um, and I just kind of yeah, want to get some of your perspective. Yeah. And these are the U.S. bank liens um, that people have been, you know, studying and negotiating over for, you know, maybe as, as much as a decade now. Um, but the, um, yeah, and it, it can also mean, um, and, and I think in some cases it does mean that um, there are certain, you know, parcels or plots of land underneath gardens, but that are only part of the garden, right, that uh, are included in this batch of properties. But also in other, let's say, batches of properties, uh, I'll give you one example of a one of the real landmark community gardens in Philadelphia, Las Parcelas, which is like the, the, the largest garden of the Norris Square neighborhood project, um, Puerto Rican um, 
a group of Puerto Rican women um, led by Tomasita Romero and Edith Brown, um, you know, developed it and sustained it over the years, um, along with other gardens that they have on the, in the same area, um, St. Blocks, um, Second Street, Palethorpe Street, um, above uh, um, Susquehanna in, in uh, uh, North Philadelphia, Eastern North Philadelphia, West Kensington neighborhood. Um, but the, the Las Parcelas, which is, the, again, the largest space, is a set of old row house um, lots, right, where there used to be row houses, um, actually, on two different streets, one facing a sort of alleyway street, Palethorpe, and one the larger street, Second Street. Um, and um, the North Square Neighborhood Project, the, the organization, um, uh, owns some of the lots under the garden. And some of them are, are contiguous or next to each other, but then there's others that are sort of spread out. And in between, you can imagine just sort of a patchwork of different lots. One or two are owned by the housing authority, one or two by the land bank or the redevelopment authority, one or two by, you know, people who's, uh, you know, ancestors owned the property and, and they may or may not, you know, have the, the city may or may not have their current addresses, uh, the current owners. Um, and so that patchwork of, of, of lots, right. Uh, and of, of, of properties has existed and of ownership, right. Has existed under you know, a good number of community gardens, um, you know, including some that are, as uh, um, long established, you know, since the 1980s, Las Parcelas, um, and and as, as you know, widely celebrated as, as that one, um, you know, and, and so sometimes it's it's complex, but you know, more often um, it's really been the, um, the the hesitation of, of uh, many, um, and actually. Often, most, uh, I'd say, you know, over years, of our city council representatives who have, you know, the ability within their districts, the district council reps, um, you know, to really help move uh, uh, land tenure issues, whether it's, you know, in a bank lien or not, uh, along and keep properties away from sheriff sales. Now we have a land bank that is, um, you know, meant to facilitate a lot of that. Um, but it hasn't been run by or, or let's say, uh, overseen, uh, particularly, you know, in, in the Kenny administration, uh, which is, uh, I guess, most of its history, but also in another administration by people who've been very friendly to um, <clears throat> things like community gardens, uh, especially community gardens, I'd say. Um, but, you know, to some extent, other, other public serving, you know, community serving uses that don't, you know, generate, you know, tax revenue. Uh, um and that does get back to, to a sort of logic of, of neighborhood development um, that that sees those kind of uses as uh, interim or waiting for, you know, tax generating, ideally private sector um, you know, development. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I am um, especially, you know, regardless of the the amount of parcels um it, it just feels like we're tackling a, a fraction of the ongoing issue i mean there's more than i believe more than 400 uh gardens throughout the city spread across gardens and farms yeah yeah <clears throat> and and you know i think we've been in for a good decade we've been in you know some real sort of situation where there's you know just real tension between um, the redevelopment and planning, um, you know, agencies, 
on on the one hand, um, including the land bank um, and uh, uh, the Parks and Recreation Department, right, which um, has an urban agriculture director and a, a, an urban agriculture plan that is you know much more about uh, uh, you know a, taking a systemic approach to to you know land access and land tenure um, that you know doesn't uh, um, sort of pit you know if we're talking about community gardens you know in particular and and urban farms uh, against right other forms of development um, that you know are hard to to argue against if you will. Um, what do you mean uh, by hard to argue against? Sorry. Hard to argue against? Well, right. Um, if you're the planning and development, you know, director for the for the city, um, you know, or or in the redevelopment authority, right, and you're weighing a, a community garden, right, and 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 especially if you're like looking at it in the winter months, right, when it doesn't look as you know beautiful with flowers and whatnot, right, even if it's a really well kept up garden. Um, and, and, you know, you're looking at that versus, you know, somebody wants to put, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, more than a million dollars into this property to, you know, they say create jobs during construction and afterwards, you know, with, you know, whether it's housing or commercial space or something else, right. That sounds like what, you know, people in, you know, my fields, right, in those fields, right, community and economic development, and particularly the the redevelopment uh, uh, sides of them, right, see as um, what will benefit the city, right, including its tax base and its ability to pay for, for public services, right, and things that are, again, hard to argue against, right? This, this project is going to, you know, raise tax revenue for the school district. My job is, you know, in the redevelopment authority or in the land bank or, or you know, um, you know, some other uh, a similar agency, right, to promote that in, in the city, right, and to facilitate that. So, um, and, you know, looked at that way, um, it's, you know, easy to choose over, you know, gardens oftentimes. You know, there are uh, um, council people and, and you know, also, uh, um, certainly advocates outside of, say, the health department or the, the uh, parks and recreation department, which don't have, you know, the same missions, right? Uh, but even outside of those, you know, there are plenty of advocates for community serving uses, including community gardens. But, uh, you know, when when uses are pitted to, you know, against one another that way, um, it's hard to argue against some of them. <laughs> um, right. And especially coming from the outlook of the city as a whole and looking at this citywide rather than the immediate impact that this garden or this land has on the neighborhood that it's that it sits within. Absolutely. Yeah. And it certainly discounts the wider social and community and neighborhood, you know, effects of something like a community garden, but it, you know, it also you know, uh, raises what you know are, are, are you know tough to argue with as uh, you know as some of Philadelphia's most pressing challenges, like funding our schools. I don't need to go beyond that one. <laughs> um, hmm. you know? Now, yeah, most definitely. I wanna uh, I wanna thank you for for being a part of the podcast today, Dominic, and kind oh, of my pleasure. Delving Always into talking with you this whole this whole beast of development and land <laughs> in the city 
Um, yeah, is there is there anything in particular you wanted to add? Uh, maybe for listeners who can uh, keep more up to date with your current work and research. Oh, hey, I think you know the one one of the you know huge things we haven't talked about is uh, you know the Sixers Arena proposal for Chinatown, which intersects with all these issues we've been talking about of you know planned gentrification and who gets to own the city and and. Um, you know, to, for, for whom do our public officials work? Um, you know, it's the, it's the subject for you know, six more hours of podcast, but mm. uh, um, uh, I, I trust you're, you're staying on top of it. It's always, it's always good talking with you, and I, I appreciate the ways you're connecting and, and, and approaching these topics. Most definitely. Thank you. And um, no, thank you. Thank you for everyone listening. Once again, this has been the 2BD podcast. Uh, what comes next is to be determined. Peace.